Welcome everyone. I'm so happy you joined us here and this is Conversations with a Goddess. I know that every woman has lived a powerful story and our stories are quite often overlooked and excluded by our culture. Therefore, my intention is that these conversations with wonderful women, with goddesses, will serve as a greater awakening to the awareness of our own unique power as women, individually, and as a collective. Today, my conversation is with one of my favorite people, with a goddess who has a beautifully awakened heart, and you can just see her beaming here next to me, so it's, <laughs> it's so very, very apparent how, how magnificent her heart is. So the incredibly generous, brilliant, and loving mama goddess, Dr. Sonia Oyola. Oyola! I made a little stumble. So, dear Sonia, you offer your gifts and blessings just to so many people and so many places, and a mother of three and a beloved daughter of two wonderful parents. And, but today I'd really like to focus our conversation on your work with women who've experienced abuse. So, one in four women in the U.S has been a victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner. And with COVID-19 and quarantine, many communities are reporting an increase in domestic violence cases up to 30%. So you're a family practice MD. You've mm -hmm. practiced on the south and west sides of Chicago, serving the underserved communities, as well as the director of family medicine clerkship at the Pritzker School of Medicine at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. I know your medical students that you teach adore you, and you travel, <laughs> you travel with them, and I, I know you and I could talk about so much, um, but you do teach your med, med students about integrative medicine, stress management, all, um, you know, nutrition, nutrition medicine. Um, it's probably not called that, what is it called? Culinary so medicine medicine, food is healing, <laughs> and domestic violence. And then, of course, you created an amazing organization, which was birthed, I know, out of your experience and, the, the, again, the brilliance of your heart, um, called Be All Right. So um, I would really love to hear more about your, I, I, I know you were born in Colombia, so mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about your journey here, your educational journey. I assume you probably were um, a minority in med school, just being a woman, first of all. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I are not that old, but still, right? And then, yeah. um, so your educational journey, which I'm, I'm, you know, you're a powerhouse, and I would love for you to inspire other women to, to see their own beauty as well mm -hmm. on a deeper level. And then, of course, creating Be All Right, which is, mm -hmm. again, such an incredible offering to the communities in Chicago. So thank you, and thank you so much for oh, being your welcome. beautiful self. Thank you're you. You're welcome, Julie, and I thank you so much for creating an opportunity for, for us to share and get to know one another. I actually, I can't wait to one day have interview you about your journey <laughs> and your path to, to supporting so many, so many people and so many women specifically to empower us. Thank you. I love you. Mm. You know, I, 
I would say, you know, the educational journey started very humbly, like many immigrants. I came here with my with my mama. My dad was already here. He was here for a year. And when we got here, he'd established a, a small home for us, you know, an apartment, an apartment on the west side. And I went to school in the, the local Chicago public schools and, and went to you know, high school in, in Chicago, public high school, and then ended up at uh, very fortunately going to DePaul University, where it was a small school, very different than the high school I'd been to, which was much, much, uh, much bigger. And that small, small school really provided me the first experiences with mentorship. You know, that a teacher really getting to know me and wanting to know what I was thinking, what I was dreaming about. And, uh, and then th those opportunities finally helped me solidify the dream of becoming a physician. I've been wanting to be a doc since I was 10 years old. And <laughs> my uncle, my uncle is a cardiologist in, in Colombia. And when I visited there as a child, I saw his work and I was very inspired by it. So I, I, I was fortunate to spend the summer uh, at the University of Illinois College of Medicine learning about what it would be like to be a medical student. Because for minority students, we, we don't have a lot of mentors. We, we do not have a lot of role models. There's only about 2% of us in the country are Latinx background and Latinx of color. Physicians wow. are rare. So you know, I never saw anyone like that, like, like that looked like me doing the work that I saw my uncle do and wanted to do. And so I spent the summer there at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. And I, you know, at the end of the summer said, I love anatomy, I love physiology. <laughs> but, and, it, and it felt right. And, and more importantly, I really, I really love service. Mm -hmm. Since from a very young age, I was inspired by my mother's service, my grandmother's service. Um, you know, I, I wasn't sure about whether I was going to be able to get into medical school. I was very naive, didn't have a lot of guidance. I only applied to one medical school. <laughs> That's kind of unheard of. Most, most people apply to about, I don't know, 30, 40 schools uh, with the hope of you know, getting into one. And I applied to one. I applied to the University of Illinois College of Medicine thinking, well, I did the summer program there, so that's the place I should apply. I didn't know <laughs> that you could apply to other places or, or live in other places. You know, immigrants, we land and we stay. We don't travel a lot for many reasons, lots of fears. Mm -hmm. Us from interacting and connecting with the world in the traditional ways that people do. And so we, I, I stayed and I, and I got a call. I got a call from Jorge Hiroti. I'll never forget it. He's like, Sonia. I'm like, yeah, Jorge. He's like, hey, you know, I'd like to offer you a spot at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. <laughs> I, was, I was so floored. So from there, it was so special. You know, what a great experience that was. Four years there, inspired by primary care providers. And I, I chose family medicine pretty early on. I fell in love with every, every area of the body, every age, every perspective. I fell in love with prevention. I thought, what ultimate way of, of being compassionate than preventing suffering? Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted to, 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 to actualize for my patients. And I went to Kokani Hospital for a residency in family medicine. And then wow. did 
I spent three years there, and that was, again, another opportunity to learn about health disparities and the, thing, the root causes of disease, poverty, racism, marginalism, um, lack of access to basic things, food, healthy environment, being able to walk outside, healthy home. And from there, I was inspired to, to go into more work around domestic violence because as a resident, you had to, you were partnered with a community uh, organization. And I was partnered with Mujeres Latinas en Acción in Pilsen. And, and they their work was just amazing, how they supported survivors and their advocacy work around survivors. Um, and ultimately, I was asked to lead a program in how to teach advocacy to medical students around this issue. And that's that's really where Be All Right was born. <laughs> you know, it was born out of that journey, but it was born out of my own experience and uh, surviving domestic violence as a child. So both of those, both of the, that moment of learning what the community, how the community supports survivors and acknowledging and understanding how my own survivorship impacts my care and my compassion and my and my care and love for our patients, those those I think were at the heart of the inspiration to create the all right. Yeah. Medical students of course inspired it as well. I had one medical student that in particular, Lauren Kendall, who said, you know, I think we can do more for this community. Yeah, so Yeah, you were born to do this. You were born to do this. It, it does feel like my calling. It feels like my, my purpose. Very lucky to find it. Mm, I feel like heaven smiles on you, dearest, you know, really, really. It does. And yeah. all the all the ancestors and, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And, but it does speak to the struggle that, you know, you don't have, you, you don't have models, you don't have mentors, you don't That's have, right. right? And that right. in spite of that, that you were able to really follow your path. I mean, that your passion was so strong and it's so beautiful that now mm. you you educate others to do the same, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go yes. into communities with women and do healing work. And as, as, right. as you shared with me, and it says on your website, to create havens of healing for these, you mm -hmm. know, these shelters become havens of healing. Um, mm -hmm. Before we just move on, though, I would love for you to share, you shared something that your mother shared with you regarding mm. um, violence in the home. Mm. And I just, yeah. I felt, I've been contemplating that, just FYI, everybody, Sonia and I recorded an earlier podcast, and it was two <laughs> hours long. So we, as, and since I'm older, I was like, okay, how do I even begin to edit this? So anyway, so Sonia graciously granted me another opportunity. So, but during that time that we were together, you did, you did share your mother's words with me and they're so powerful. Mm -hmm. So I think that other people should hear them because I think it informs, mm -hmm. it gives people an opportunity to, um, liberate themselves, those who have been mm -hmm. abused, and also just a, a different perspective for those who work with women mm -hmm. who have been abused. So yeah. do you mind? I'd well, love it. No, of course. I, you know, I think, as we know, children are so deeply impacted by this issue. And we've got now very robust research, actually, that shows that the more adverse childhood experiences you have, the more likely you're going to develop many of the chronic diseases that we face today. And 
I'm, I'm moved to understand now that there were some critical moments in my childhood that, that made a big, big difference in my own self-worth and my value, my esteem, how I saw myself in it as I was surviving it. And I think one of the things that my mama said pretty early on, which was striking, was, you know, I don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. No one deserves to be treated in this way. And, and actually, you can love your father, but not like what he's doing. And there's a, there's a big difference there. That finally liberated me to understand it in a different way. You know, children, when, when that explanation comes and does not come through, because reasonably, compassionately, parents are trying to protect their children, protect them um, from the pain and the suffering of this issue. But when that explanation isn't shared with a child, you know, what happens to children? They internalize it. We internalize it. We, we blame ourselves. We, we say, oh, I should have, I should have cleaned my room. You know, I should have eaten my dinner. I should have done, I should have listened to, and maybe mom wouldn't have been upset or dad wouldn't have been upset tonight. So I, that, those words from my mother were incredible. Um, the other words that I think stand out and that were pivotal to my development was being a woman of color and being a woman of color that doesn't quite fit in with all the, in all the spaces and all the communities. I'd go to school and people would ask me, you know, what am I? And I'd come home and I'd ask mom, you know, they're asking me, what am I? I'm a little confused because I just thought I was like a, I thought I was a girl. I thought, and my mom, I thought I was Sonia or whatever. And my mom, you know, I remember her saying, you know, just the next time they ask you, just, just say to them, you're, you're Sonia's daughter. That's my mom's name, mm -hmm. Sonia, Sonia's daughter. So, so that was, that was also very pivotal because I, I understood that I'm more than what people see. You know, I'm in a relationship. I, I, I'm treasured. You know, someone treasures me. And when I would say that, at, you know, to folks, you know, what are you? And I'd say, I'm my mom's daughter. <laughs> so innocently, you know, like a child would say it. I'm, I'm Sonia's daughter. They would say, oh, you know, what, that, what happens when a child says that, that, that the image is she belongs she belongs to someone, to a family member, and, they, and that's her mama, and her mama loves her. <laughs> so that was really, that was a helpful phrase that I kept me through many years of, of um, questioning and wondering. And, uh, but I definitely appreciated so much my mama's words about, about our violence in our family. It, it was critical to understanding how I fit in it, and, 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 and particularly that I didn't deserve it, and that she didn't deserve it. Mm. And, and, my, and, my, and my father, he didn't deserve it either. He grew up in a very um, painful home, there a lot of harm to him, and so that pattern of behavior continued, and it took him years to see that the pattern was not conducive to his goals. His goals were happiness and safety and dreams and love, and that wasn't the way he was behaving. It was not going to get him to that, and certainly not to his own children. And so 
when he recognized that, things changed dramatically. So very blessed that he saw that. It takes a lot of love for that transformation, though, right, darling? It, it takes a it lot does. of love, and um, yeah. that is not always available. And your mother, right. in spite of the, the challenges, created yeah. shelter for you, right? So it's yeah, no surprise did. that now you have <laughs> created this organization <laughs> in Chicago that shelters the shelters, you know, mm -hmm. that offers all of these wonderful opportunities to serve the shelters and it's yes. just but that your mother did that and having met your mother and sat with her during violin lessons and all kinds of things <laughs> but I that I, you know she really she has that and of course you are her daughter you mm. know yes and I also think it's just wonderful to see how yeah how things go on well, how the lineage actually has an opportunity, you know, to really, um, with every subsequent generation, there is hopefully evolution, you know, That's right. and, and where, and, and I think we are seeing that that is not the case a lot here in the United States. So, mm -hmm. um, it's mm -hmm. the work that you're doing is, is very, very important, obviously. So that, so that women can begin and women are the you know women are the center right when we have children and mm -hmm. you know I, I heard Madel Madeline Albright speak once and she said that um, offering uh, micro loans to women is a matter of national security actually when Correct. we offer micro micro loans around the world it cre you know we know we've the, the the data is there that countries are safer when you have that's women right. and girls empowered so um that's right. that was the same in this country you know and mm -hmm. violence goes down right uh, i mean obviously because women and children are safe so mm -hmm. um so dearest the the stats are very high one in four mm -hmm. that's right right and that's domestic violence that's and uh, i think you know my friend um, Ann Reem, who works also with um, survivors of sexual violence, yes. and that, those stats are one in three, and she said around the globe she thinks it's one in two, right, mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. So um, if we have a friend, since mm -hmm. those one in four, or a family member, um, mm -hmm. or a co-worker where we may see warning signs of, mm -hmm. you know, signs of abuse or, mm -hmm. Um, what are the best steps? You know, there are really, you, you have very clear steps on your website, and mm -hmm. you and I have spoken about this before, but the steps that one might take, mm -hmm. um, and you just, I mean, what you shared with me is so much respect that it's the women, the woman's choice, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'd love for you to share that because I think I was so enlightened by you know mm -hmm. what you shared with me and how to handle those situations of course of course um, you know first of all it's very painful it's very painful to see your beloved go through that kind of suffering and the first instinct naturally for many of us is to remove them from that suffering to stop that suffering to to say to say you know, get out and, and, and do this and, and call this number and, and, you, and, and you need, it's very, it's a very directive approach. And the directive approach often comes in when we feel 
stress and we feel fear, we're, we're afraid, naturally so. But in this situation, we have to remember that the survivor is the expert in their experience. Mm. They have been surviving for so long and they have created so many adaptive measures to prevent their harm, the harm to their children. We have to trust, we really have to trust that. So the process of surviving domestic violence in itself, it makes you an expert, it grants you expertise in it. The other piece around it is as you are in it, you're also very disempowered. Um, you're being advised that you're not smart enough, that you're not worthy, you're not ready, you're not, and you need to be a certain way. Because it's all about control, right? Emotional, psychological control, financial control, physical control, right? Through sexual assault, um, through, through actual hurting of the body, um, medication control, right? It's all about that. And so as that survivor is being controlled in multiple ways, the, the, what they hear constantly is the words of disempowerment. Um, so our charge as friends, as neighbors, as physicians, is really to use a language that's it's called trauma-informed. Trauma-informed language is the language of support. It's the language of empowerment. Mm. It's the language that by the end of that conversation, that other person feels and even more able and more capable and more self-efficacious. Now, here's an example. If someone shares something with you, I was just hit. Why were you hit? That's very different than, thank you for sharing that with me. Mm. It's very different. One says you, and why were you? One is blaming. And the other one is, is gracious. Yeah, the other one is gracious. The other one says, the second one, the, 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 the person surviving says, yes, that's right. I help this person understand what I'm going through. I am expert in my experience. So one of the key words to say right in the beginning to your friend, your family member, your neighbors, thank you for sharing. Thank you. How can I be of service? How can you, how may I, how may I be of service? And can you identify right now any way that I may be of service, be helpful to you in this situation? It's the language that says, I don't know, and I will not assume to know. I will be open to hearing and learning from you how to be of service. That is, that is what my, my, the details behind situations are so different, right? Whether it's fresh trauma, trauma from a past, a very older, older trauma, and someone's still surviving that past trauma. If it's acute or chronic trauma, um, depending on the degree of safety and danger, all of those situations have very nuanced and specific approaches. And that's because we're all nuanced and specific, mm -hmm. <laughs> different individuals. 
For of course, um, but the general I approach is a is the approach of trauma informedness. It's compassionate listening, listening with an open, generous heart. You're not there to direct or to change. You're actually there to carry carry it for just a little while. It's like a, someone's carrying a heavy box, and you yeah. come over and you're like, "Oh, may I, may I help you carry that?" I say, "Oh yeah, thank you so much." carrying it for a little while. And then eventually you have to walk away and, you have to, and they're carrying it. But for that short period of time, you relieve some of that stress and burden of carrying that. And that's the kind of language and approach that survivors appreciate so much and grow from. And, and, and that in, the, in itself inspires the next change, positive change in their life. Mm. It's, it's um, remarkable just to listen to you because I feel my own healing process. So I'm so happy you're sharing this. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and your students are so fortunate and the women that you work with too, Sonia, because I feel that um, your voice is very, very healing and also obviously your intelligence. And I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm really thinking, how often do we really offer people nonviolent communication? That's right. That's you know, true. and it is really, um, we could definitely use more of that on planet Earth, right? And Absolutely. I think, I mean, I've, this is not my interview, but, um, you know, I have learned a lot about, you know, survivors of trauma because I had violence in my own family growing up. and just PTSD, right? We know so much more than we knew 10 years ago, five years ago. Absolutely. And, and then um, we really see the inheritance of this, you know, um, you spoke about your own father. And so, you know, this is a very general and broad question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. You know, the, the root causes, I mean, mm -hmm. you touched on it earlier, but the mm -hmm. root causes of specifically domestic violence and mm -hmm. how do we really begin to reduce mm -hmm. the violence and break the chain mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. I, again you've you have touched on it but any other mm -hmm. thoughts about mm -hmm. it you know because really wouldn't it be beautiful wouldn't it be a beautiful yes. world I mean that is yes. partially what that is what you are creating dearest and you know, you really, you emanate that. So, yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? There are the root causes of violence. It is, it is the question. It is the ultimate question. Um, and, and I would say that, Julie, just as we've been, I think, talking it through, it's so multifactorial. What are the key pieces of evidence that demonstrates a, a future risk of perpetrating violence as having witnessed violence, having experienced it in your own life as a child. So if you're if you witness domestic violence, if you've if you've been directly hurt, uh, uh, harmed by domestic violence, then you're fifty times more likely to perpetrate that violence and, and part of it is it's because it's learned you know it's a pattern of behaviors that get set and that's your normalcy that's your that's your approach 
Um, that's your re built-in instinctual response. You know, and, and, and those kinds of instinctual responses are very hard to reset without wanting to reset them, without feeling able that you can reset them without feeling a need to reset them. So at the heart of why we have violence today is, is absolutely having experienced it. Why do we experience it as a society? I think because for a long, long time, half of our, <laughs> half of us, and today, and it continues today, are not equal, they're not valued equally. Uh, seen as property, seen as objects to be moved around and manipulated and controlled. So if that's the foundation of, of our messaging to our children, um, to our neighbors, to our, to our world, then it's natural that that's how we behave with one another. You know, I, I read a study some years ago that by the time if you were born in 2004, by the time you're seven years old, you've seen something like 14,000 acts of violence in various forms, movies, television, um, on the street, you know, various, various forms, 14,000 acts of violence. And oh by the time you're a teenager, you've seen 7,000 acts of murder. So these are, these are, these are images uh, that we that we see, but we're not given the tools or the opportunities to process them, to understand them, to to relearn a different approach around them. What we see is conflict throughout time with very little resolution, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the other research around it. That if ch children, for the most part, when they're watching cartoons, it's ninety percent of it is a conflict between Tom and Jerry, you know, and then and then the last the last ten percent of it is they, they resolve it, but but there's actually no clear way how they it's not clearly stated how it's resolved. You know, it's just kind of this mas magical resolution. There isn't a purposeful demonstration of how the behavior changed or how they learned to change that behavior. So so we're really set up in the society unfortunately to behave in in in, a, in, in some in fairly maladaptive ways and it takes you know it takes intention and it takes acknowledging that and and a mother who says something like you can love your father but you can also not like how he behaves it's not about calling someone evil or not, or they're good people or bad people. We're all human beings, and we've all learned a way of seeing the world and behaving in the world. And that seeing it and behaving takes so much support and understanding to, 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 to create a new path and way around it. I recently had someone say, I don't think racism exists. And I said, well, if someone, for example, no longer wants to be my patient or in real, because they, 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 they recognized or they finally saw me and they saw my color and they said, I don't want to be treated by a black person, brown person. What would you call that behavior? 
And, and the person said, well, I would say that's a bad person. And I said, well, no, let's go a little bit beyond the categorization of a person and let's try to describe the behavior. And, and, and I said, that behavior is, is called racism. So it's just this kind of like understanding that we're, we, we, it's behaviors taught early, systemically, um, and in the home, relearned, reinforced, and then we go out into the world and that's how, that's how we are in the world. And it just takes, so it takes some key people. The ACEs study, the Adverse Child Experiences study, the hope around this, Julie, is that the ACEs study also demonstrates that a relationship with one loving, caring adult. I have heard that. Yeah, can, can overcome some of the incredible stressors that children experience when they are survivors of, of violence. And so that, that, that to me is such a hope, such an inspiration. And I am, I'm a product of that. I, I, I have experienced, I, I am directly, I can directly testify that that is, that is a truth. That me is, too. Me that too. Is truth. That is a truth. You know, that one caring person that said, you are, you're so beautiful. You are so worthy and smart and capable and true and honest and you serve with love. You know, those words, wow, they made a big, 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 big difference. And seeing them behave lovingly, kindly to other people and to me, to my siblings, to their church members, yeah, said, oh, okay, that's, that's another, that's another way to be, <laughs> kind of like that way, to, I like that way to be. Right, we, we, yeah. we, weaving ourselves, right, darling? That's right. Right, that's that, right. that's what I'd like. That's and what I'd like. That's, that's yeah. I want to be more like that, right? Yes, yes. But there has to be a clear enough screen, you know, in That's other right. words, the trauma can't be informing everything, you know? That's I mean, right. it's hard to see from that place. So there has it's to be really a clear is. enough sense of our own humanity, our own goodness to be able to recognize it mm -hmm. and want to mm -hmm. embody that, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have, you, you sighed and I took a deep sigh, you know, at the same time. It just, there's a lot of... Um, mm -hmm. A lot of love to be offered and a lot of work to be done. That's right. Yes. So um, you look fabulous, even though there's still a lot of work to be done, darling. And you, you've become more radiant the longer I know you. So uh, I, I can testify also that you know you offering service has has made you even brighter. You know, more light. Service is my medicine. Service is my medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so I, I, I shared with you earlier, my, my mother is a big fan of yours. And um, she Aww, said to me, well, Julie, you, <laughs> you have to ask Sonia. So she posts, so Sonia posts these beautiful flowers. Mm. Is it once a day, darling? Or sometimes do you just like, once a day. you once post a day. three a day. Sometimes I must get them all I together. Catch up. But I catch yeah. up, yeah. So these beautiful, and you must have started this what a couple years ago. I think it's I think it's been about five now. Oh my God! I've obviously I lost know, a few years, but anyway. So I mean, I, I must have been seeing them for five years. So, yeah. um, so I'm sure there's a 
multi-dimensional answer here, but you know, so so you're posting these magnificent flowers and offering beauty and healing. But I'd love mm-hmm. to know more about that. You know. Aww. You know, I I think it was. To be honest, I, I, I got a smartphone for the first time five years ago. <laughs> and, um, and I've, I've loved flowers in many, of course, I share this love of flowers with the world, with the world. They, they, are, they are reminders, simple reminders of the, the beauty that the world holds for, uh, for, for itself and that we get to enjoy. Yeah, fortunately, we're blessed. We're blessed to be around them and to be allowed to be around them. And I started loving flowers when I was a little, little girl because I helped my neighbor garden. My neighbor was from Poland and we didn't speak each other's language, but she would invite me over and I'd help her weed. I'd help her weed and I think That's that so I helped her, I ended up like pulling out her flowers instead of her weeds. So she taught me very quickly what was a weed and what was something uh, to be kept in the ground. And I, so, but I remember feeling very peaceful, of course, and climb over her gate and I sit there on the ground and spend a lot of time just staring at flowers. And it was a moment that I could have to myself. I, I was safe. You know, I was safe. I could, I could take a break from whatever challenging thing happening in the house. You know, either in the moment or at the after the moment. You know, after the violence or after the hard moment, I could go over there and just garden with her. And so, mm-hmm. I've had this deep connection to flowers because of that. Because they help me meditate. They help me stay present during a time that was so so tough and. As years have gone by, I, I feel more, um, just enraptured by them. So yeah, I spend it. I spend a time just walking through the world, and it's at a, sometimes a grocery store, <laughs> the dry cleaners, the you know, wherever they are, wherever I go, I I always have. I'm always on a bit on the lookout <laughs> for them. Sometimes I'll tell you that I might be even driving and I see a little flash of color that I don't have not seen in a while, a particular blue, or a particular purple, and I'll pull over, you know, walk out of my car and run over to the, <laughs> to the flower. It's a little bit, it's a little too much, but it's so, it's a moment to just be so present and aware of every detail that 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 little petal or leaf the iridescence the sparkle the 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 tiny speckles just it it just feels so soothing so incredibly soothing so i take i take a picture (laughs) in that moment and then i think well i'd love to share it i'd love to share it with some folks i'd like to share it with my friends and my family members the what I saw, it, I had nothing to do with its beauty at all. But oh, I feel wow. close, you know, right? I had nothing to do with its beauty, but I feel so honored that I get to share a little bit of what I saw. Often, the, it's rare that a picture actually, that you see is actually what I saw, of course. But when I get close, they're, they're very special. Like the picture I sent you is, is, is very close to what I saw that day. 
yeah so it's they're very they're beautiful they're I'm also inspired by O'Keefe, George O'Keefe. I learned, I read her biography as a young woman, uh, Roxana Robinson's biography of O'Keefe. And so I think it comes from that too. Mm. It's my informal meditation. That's basically what it is. It's my informal meditation. I stop, I take a deep breath, I focus, I stay with it, I don't move, and then <laughs> communion right that that expanding expanding time in the present moment that's right that's and those feels like those photographs really give all of us that opportunity and you know it it also dearest it's i i feel like it's you know you've carried that moment from when you were a little girl into all of our lives right and mm -hmm. There is how you tease out, you know, and begin to unwind some of the trauma for all of us, mm -hmm. right? Because that's your intention behind that, is that we can all hop over that fence mm -hmm. and sit on the ground mm -hmm. and have that moment with the flower. Mm -hmm. And it's also so beautiful, dearest, that your reticular activating system is 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 looking for those things right oh yeah instead of looking for sadness instead of looking but again that takes practice and timing intention and mm -hmm. and you did it over and over as a little girl you know so you know how mm -hmm. to do it now mm -hmm. so um it's so true so i didn't even think, think about it that way but that's so that's so true that i'm still i'm still healing i'm still trying to find that moment of peace and you give it to all of us, okay. darling, because you have you have found it, you know. So I, mm -hmm. I love you, and I I'm thrilled so that much. I had a two-hour private conversation with you, and <laughs> that we've now we polished it. And today was magnificent, and being with you, and you are such a gift, a gift to humanity, a gift to Chicago, a gift to me a gift to everyone who knows you. So mm -hmm. I want more people to have the opportunity to know you. So I really encourage people to go to be all right, A-L-R-I-G-H-T, Chicago.com, and learn more about what Sonia is offering to our community here in Chicago, and learn more mm -hmm. about the women and the shelters she serves, and also there are tremendous resources on her website. So to really, um, educate ourselves more deeply about how we can support women in liberating themselves and and mm -hmm. and children and men that's you right know, it's Absolutely. a it's All a system you know so um so dearest i i asked you this last time and i i would love for you just to to say goodbye with just a little few lines of a song. Sonia has the most beautiful voice. So you've already you've already healed us, darling, with your words and with the education and you heal us with your flowers. So I I would love to it's a selfish request, honestly, if I could just hear you <laughs> sing a little bit this morning. And then say goodbye whenever you'd like, darling. Okay. Well, I will. Thank you again, Julie. I love you too. Mm -hmm. I love you so much. You are 
our blessing and our gift mm -hmm. support you, us all in this way. It's so beautiful. Let's see, this song is um, it's called Veinte Años, and it's a song that it's um, 20 years. It's the title of the song. And um, very special song about loss and love and wishing that your love wishing that you could still preserve the love that you had 20 years ago and i think about survivors a lot when i sing this song i think about my mother when i sing this song so thank you Si tú no me quieres ya, el amor que ya ha pasado no se debe recordar. Fui la ilusión de tu vida un día lejano yo. Hoy represento el pasado, no me puedo. Conformar. Hoy represento el pasado, no me puedo conformar. Thank you. Love you, Love you so much, darling. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. you too. Thank you. Love you. You're infinitely just giving beautiful gifts, so thank you. Thank you.